Hey everybody, welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, a very interesting show today. When is the last time that you found out that a well-known rock drummer was also a jiu-jitsu black belt? We're going to introduce you to one today. After we let you know to please check out phoneboothfighting.com. We do this twice-weekly podcast, absolutely free for you guys, and you can subscribe through our mini podcast platforms at phoneboothfighting.com. They're all available right there on the front of the website. If you are subscribing through iTunes, do us a favor. Click on the five stars. Even if you're not subscribing through iTunes, you can still do it. Go to our iTunes page. Click on the five-star review. That is tremendously helpful for us. If you uh, have an extra moment, please uh, write a favorable line or two in the review section. Frank and I like to read those on the air, and we will read yours. So we appreciate you supporting the show in that way. Speaking of supporting the show, right there on the front of phoneboothfighting.com, there is an Amazon banner. To do your Amazon shopping, click through that banner. It will not cost you an extra penny, but it does provide us support here on the podcast, and we appreciate it. Also, if you would like to subscribe to Premium, phone booth fighting content, including exclusive videos, behind-the-scenes pictures, extra episodes, etc. You can do all that through our Patreon link for as little as $1 a month. That Patreon banner is also right there on the front of phoneboothfighting.com. And also, you know another way you can support the show? Buy our merchandise and wear it. Wear it around. Be proud. Show people that you listen to Phone Booth Fighting. We have exclusive Phone Booth Fighting official show merchandise t-shirts available at phoneboothfighting.com right there in the store as well as uh, some autograph memorabilia as well. So please check that out. Great ways to support the show, and we tremendously appreciate it. Also, click on our sponsor link at phoneboothfighting.com. Support our great sponsors like Earth's Brew, Real Water, Drysdale, Jiu-Jitsu Academy, uh, all of them are uh, big uh, supporters of the show, and we like to, in turn, support them. And we appreciate you doing the same. All right, let me get out of the way and uh, bring on Frank and our mystery rock drumming guest, who's also the jiu-jitsu black belt and so much more. A uh, pretty incredibly well-rounded guy, and uh, we had a really great interview with him. So uh, here it is, episode 118 of Phone Booth Fighting. It's phone booth fighting. I am Richard Hunter. He is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. And Frank, we're in the uh, phone booth fighting bunker here inside Stately Mir Manor in suburban Las Vegas. Uh, joining us on uh, via Skype right now is very exciting. Uh, the uh, the the 15-year-old in me is uh, is is dancing a jig in my head. I am immediately taken back to the uh, 1985 Texas Jam that I attended in my hometown of Dallas, Texas. When I saw this man live on stage from Poison, it's Ricky Rocket. Ricky, welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, man. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on here. Okay, so we're excited to get you on. Frank is so excited that he came straight from the gym, and as you can see, is still wearing his gi. He doesn't walk around the house like this. He Not just normally. Didn't, this didn't take time to change. Sometimes the kids aren't here. Uh, no, don't t- don't tell me that. I envision Frank constantly in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he didn't let me down, you know. Well, that's true. Well, so so the interesting thing is we have to uh, explain first of all that uh, Ricky is a jujitsu black belt. We're going to be talking some music, but we're also going to be talking some jujitsu and some other stuff uh, with Ricky. And and once again. I got to credit uh, Twitter, Frank, your Twitter specifically, with an incredible guest get. I mean, yeah. this is this is this year's Paul Stanley. Last year, we got invited to Paul Stanley's house because of your Twitter account. And this year, uh, we're getting to meet uh, Ricky Rocket in 2017. So let's, let's start there, Ricky. I mean, uh, everybody <coughs> knows uh, about Poison, but not only do you train jiu-jitsu, by my calculations, you must have been training since probably like the early 90s or something, right? You know, I, I don't even know exactly when. It's been like 18 years or something like that. Uh, it's been a long time. I think it was like, I think I, uh, somewhere around circa UFC 5 is when I felt like I had to learn that stuff. Now, what uh, what what got you interested in it to begin with? I mean, because because the band was already huge. I mean, at that time, so it's I guess it's not something you did as a as a kid or or what what got you into it? No, I've always loved martial arts. You know, of course, like a lot of guys, I love Bruce Lee, and I you know tried karate and kung fu and all that stuff back in. I'm from Pennsylvania, and, yeah. Um, and so I I did all that, and um, and I wrestled in school, um, in high school. Uh, but I didn't really get involved in martial arts again until I actually had a little bit of money and a little bit of time to do it. And that's when we moved out to California. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, the first thing I tried to do was find somebody that could teach Bruce Lee stuff. And who I finally found was Cass Magda. Cass lived with Danny Inasano and he was his like protege. And uh, so who better to learn from than a direct lineage of Bruce Lee, Danny Inasano? Uh, I thought that was perfect. And in d d learning that stuff, um, he also taught C-Lot. And C-Lot is kind of like um, a, a ground fighting game from Indonesia. And I, that put me back in touch with wrestling a little bit. Um, but it wasn't until I met John Jock and uh, Higgin Machado yeah. Uh, at, a, at an animal rights rally, as a matter of fact. Um, and they said, you know, you got to come over to the school if you, if you, you know, I heard you love this stuff. And I said, okay, I'll come over. And the first guy I met was Eddie Bravo, by the way. Yeah. And, um, you know, we did a little bit of technique. I had on a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt and I thought I'll be just fine. I know C-Lot. I wrestled. I'm a JKD guy. I mean, I'll be just fine. And I got tapped about 12 times in a row, just bam, bam, bam. And I went, I like signed up the next day. I walked out of there. I mean, I thought about it all night long. I was like, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? What's wrong with this picture? I'm such an incomplete fighter. And, you know, and I just, I, I just had to get involved. And I mean, and then I got deeply, deeply involved. And I still kept up with JKD uh, for another year. Uh, but then my, my coach got injured and uh, sidelined him for a while. And I just, you know, I, I, life happened. I, I got married and all kinds of stuff. So I just focused on jujitsu only. Now, I'm finding this problem because I travel a lot. Being as busy as you are, how are you able to fit that in to be able to train on a regular basis? It's tough when I'm on the road. I mean, the thing is, we haven't, Poison hasn't toured in four years. 
you know, I, I went to a cancer bout, which we can talk about later, but, yeah. um, you know, the thing is, is that when I'm away, I'm away, but when I'm home, I'm really home. I'm home 24 seven. And, um, <clears throat> so I, I can go like almost every day, basically. I mean, I just have to pick up my kids from school and stuff like that. But, um, but I mean, I, I can train all the time. So I get this condensed stuff. Now I go on the road and I hardly train, which is horrible. I haven't trained in three weeks now. And it's, I mean, it makes me crazy. It's like, it's hard to understand. Yeah, I was curious, maybe if you brought somebody with you or just tried to check into local gyms. I I was trying to look for some advice, but I'm pretty much finding that's the situation I'm in where when I'm home, I can eat and train properly. When I'm traveling, it seems like you're just screwed. Well, you know what? I mean, I've gone in a couple of gyms. Like, I, I mean, of course, I'm in Carlos Machado's gym because I have that Machado connection. That was awesome. They welcome me with open arms but not every gym's like that it's yeah. like every swinging dick in there wants to take out the black belt especially if he plays drums for poison he's really <laughs> the first to take him out okay? <laughs> i cast out the drummer How cool someone lost that? a girlfriend to you get a little yeah that's off. right yeah so payback <laughs> so, <laughs> someone's still mad about losing that girlfriend yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you brought exactly. it up just right oh. now a little bit about i know you went through about of tongue cancer were you able to train at all during that time or do you really have to focus fully on your recovery and, and battle? Well, there were seven weeks where I was told that I couldn't get on the mat at all because, uh, the one drug that I was on actually, uh, made you very susceptible to, um, getting infection, skin infection. Oh, so I was on an antibiotic yeah. for that. Uh, cause I didn't do regular chemo. I did this other targeted stuff. Uh, and, but, but it causes skin issues. Uh, so I couldn't get on the mat at all. Um, and then it was probably another month after I was done with that, that I got back on the mat. Chemo wrecks your immune system, right? Chemo really hurts the immune system, right? I mean, I know it's killing cancer, but I notice people that have, have gone through the chemo, it seems like their immune system, they're worn down all the time. Exactly. What, what, what I was on was uh, something different called Herbitux. It's what, uh, if, if, if you remember, uh, Martha Stewart went to jail for a drug that she was doing insider trading with. Oh, back in right? yeah. That was the, that was the drug. Okay? Oh. So that, that was what they put me on. So it wasn't like this um, harsh uh, chemo. Uh, it, it was fairly mild. But the radiation was really, really tough. For three weeks, it was like, hey, I got this, you know. And then uh, week four, it started to wear me down. And then, uh, I mean, it just kicked. I mean, I couldn't taste anything. I could barely eat. A lot of people get on a feeding tube. I wouldn't do it. I just kept pounding shakes. Um, and uh, like maybe five or six a day. And there were like five, 600 calorie shakes. And it hurt. I mean, I had to like gargle with like, you know, numbing solution. And I mean, it, it, it was like the worst thing you ever want to go through. And still I have residual problems. I, you know, I can't eat, you know, uh, as quickly, like everyone's on dessert and I'm still like on the main course, you know what I mean? Right. But I'm, I'm here. Uh, but all that didn't work. I, I, I wound up having to get on an immunotherapy clinical trial an experimental trial and that's what worked for me and it worked really fast within nine weeks i was almost completely better and then within 18 weeks i was completely clear 
and I've been clear ever since. It's amazing. That stuff is absolutely where it's at and where the future is. And I, I mean, they, they might be able to cure cancer with this stuff. I'm not even kidding you. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. Congratulations on that, man. I'm I'm glad that uh, that you're you're feeling so much better. You know, it's this has been so uh, interesting to me because by the time that I saw that you know you you had followed Frank on Twitter and he was following you and all that kind of stuff, one of the things I was telling Frank, I mean, just being a music fan for as long as I have, is that oh, this is going to be really interesting because because Ricky has got all these layers and dimensions to his personality. Uh, like the jujitsu that we're talking about, like the animal rights, the the ve- I'm a vegan as well, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. We actually talk a lot about animal rights and rescue here on the show, uh, and, and and all those things. But you know, I was thinking, Ricky, it's like I came to know all those things about you much later in life, because and, and really because of the internet, social media, and things like that. I mean, I'm I'm 46, so. I go back to uh, you know when when I first learned of poison, it was only what uh, Hit Parader or Circus Magazine wanted me to know about, and they weren't covering your jujitsu or your animal rights activism. You know that was uh, it was mostly right, just right. telling me about hard partying and stuff. So I was thinking, like in a way, that's something that is is very cool about modern technology is that you know we we were discussing before we went on the air, Ricky and I were about sort of the the death of music journalism and. And that that is a bummer, but the I guess the upside is is that you're also able to kind of control your own narrative in a way that you couldn't before, and you can let the world know that you've got a lot of sides to you. Uh, absolutely, and it doesn't always sit with everybody. So well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, social media has changed everything, hasn't it? I mean, it's for good and bad. Um, uh, you know, you can't say it's all bad, and you can't say it's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, from that standpoint, it's it's good. I think, I, honestly, I do. Do you think you guys would have? I mean, you really, from everything that I've read about you guys and heard of how hard of workers, how you guys are out on the grind, always constantly pushing your product, not only just in the studio but outside. Uh, do you think that if you would have had access to what bands basically have access today to Instagram, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, Twitter? Do you guys think that it would have shortened it up, or how would you have done in that scenario? I don't know if, you know, it still comes down to the music at the end of the day, Um, but it, um, here's the weird thing. You can have, let's say, 10,000 people that like you on Facebook. Let's pretend you're a brand new band. Uh, but then you go and you play a show in Nebraska. How many of those 10,000 fans actually live in Nebraska that could come and see you physically? Maybe only five, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't really tell the whole story. There, there are bands right now that, uh, you know, have a Grammy and can, can barely sell, you know, they sell out a club maybe or, or, or a small theater. Uh, and then you have somebody like Steve Miller, who we haven't heard anything from in years, decides he wants to tour and sells out everywhere he goes. It's just nothing makes sense anymore. Uh, and, and, and singles, we're back to singles. People don't yeah. buy the whole record. It's like the 50s again, you know? It's, it's like people listen to the singles and they download their favorite single song. Uh, it's really crazy right now. It's like the Wild West. And, and you know, Frank, I, I don't know how we would do it today if we started from the beginning. I, I really don't know. I think we would have figured it out somehow. 
we're like those kind of guys that it's like if we all worked in a restaurant, we'd own it in a couple of years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I personally I, think, I've said that, yeah. well, from what I've seen, I think you guys would have even nailed it out of the park even quicker because it seems like back in the 80s, a lot of doors had to kind of be open for you. Like, I mean, you could beat it down, but there was guys in suits that would if they didn't want to let you into the radio station to play your song or if you, they didn't want to sign you to a label they could keep you basically as a local phenomenon and you guys fought through that but it seems like nowadays because of youtube because of twitter because of facebook that suit doesn't seem to have the same power to say no. If you're a good band, yeah. it, you don't have to know the right people. You basically can start playing your music and, and YouTube it, and if it's good, it's going to spread like wildfire. Yeah, I mean, people want to work with you even if, just because, it, listen, it, it's supply and demand. If you, can, if you can supply a product and everybody wants it, uh, People want to work with you. I mean, they just do. Even if you're a rude jerk, um, that, you know, it's weird how, how that works. But, I mean, back in the day, we used to have to go into these di distribution places and literally kiss ass to some clerk, you know, bring them fruit baskets and stuff. Just get them to, to like, carry our record and distribute it and remember our faces and everything. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, in so many ways, I think that it, it, it made us develop a little bit because we became pretty good at being nice guys, um, you know, because our, our career depended on it. And you can only fake it so much uh, and, until you realize that, you know, people are just people. And, and we started to get genuine feedback from those people. At first, it was just... It was just a merciless grind to go in there and kiss everybody's butt. And after a while, it started to become kind of fun. You know what I mean? It's um, when I look back on that. You know, um, we always had pretty good relationships. We, within the the innards of the industry, we were pretty well liked, but we weren't liked by like the press. You know what I mean? That's that's where we failed miserably. You know, it, it's like you know we were talking to you know like I said we had. Um, Rolling Stone magazine is doing a piece on us. And I mean, the, the writer, I mean, looked me square in the face and said, you know, we've been extremely unfair to you for the last 30 years. And I said, does that mean we're going to get a good piece? He goes, I'm not telling you. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't know if it's going to get any better or not. So, you know, but whatever. We, I look out in that crowd and I see a great audience and I see them having a great time, clapping, jumping up and down, raising hell, partying. We're partying and having a great time. So no matter what any writer says, I know what it is. And and they know what it is. So, you know, that that's really what it comes down. It's like Frank. It's like somebody saying, you know, Frank can't fight, Frank can't fight. And then you knock a guy out. It's like, there it is. You know, you can say what you want. But at the end of the day, you're just the lucky. guy's knocked out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> the other guy sucked and you're so, just lucky. <laughs> Poison, is, uh, Poison is out on tour this summer with Def Leppard and Tesla. And they're going to be at the MGM Grand right here in Las Vegas, Frank, on June 17th. So, uh-huh. And uh, let, well, let me let me tell you why uh, we should be uh, attending that show. By the way, 
uh, tour dates at poisonweb.com for all the information. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a secret, Frank. This is a... Uh, is there other this, dates they're going to be here? This is a secret from uh, the teenage Richard Hunter, okay? Right. Let me take you back to the mid-'80s. A little tad before Frank's time. But, uh, uh, Ricky, Frank and I uh, a lot of times talk about, uh, you know, the the secrets to, to picking up the most attractive women on the road and stuff like that. The secret was to go to a Poison concert, okay? I've heard. Because... I've heard. There were only four guys in that band, okay? So, I mean, I they, they were they were taking up uh, a, a lot of the ladies, but, uh, you know, one night you There's can only, only so cover much so many. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's only so much poison that can go around. That's right. There were, there were a, anybody, any guy in the 80s, any teenager who did not appreciate a poison concert just wasn't very good at math. Okay, because they did not understand that the odds were very much in your favor. You know, you go to a, a Rush show or a Dio show, you know, uh, not a lot of girls around. So I figured that out very early on, uh, Ricky, that uh, poison shows were a good place for dudes like me to hang out, wait until the lights come up. They're disappointed that they didn't get a backstage pass. And that's where I go, uh, I, I'm in a band. <laughs> We're playing somewhere in a couple of days because you guys were leaving town. You're gone that night. See, I I uh, took advantage of that a couple of days later. Yeah, we're like the musical magic man. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, uh, you know, these male reviews. Except, yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> except we actually took the girls too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. Some of them didn't come back home. That's true. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was definitely. Uh, yeah, no, we were fortunate in that way. No, No question about it. I remember, uh, so I, I think I said at the beginning of the interview, but I saw you guys, I'm from Dallas originally, I saw you guys play at the Texas Jam, 1986 I think was the year, and what blew my, awesome what blew my mind about that show was that completely unannounced, Paul Stanley, speaking of our friend Paul Stanley, came out and sat in with the band, and that was back before you saw a lot of that. You know, now people sit in with people and all that, but back then that seemed to be much more of a rarity, and all of a sudden... Out, yeah. uh, out he came uh, on stage. That was... Uh, that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. That that was huge. I mean, it was like, you know, I was like pinching myself. I mean, especially at that point in time. I mean, we had not been out for very long. We were on our first record still. Yeah. And to see Paul Stanley, you know, I'm looking over and it's like the guy from Kiss is on stage with us. Like, that doesn't happen every day. I know. <laughs> You know, yeah, that was pretty amazing. He's a nice dude. Yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome. They've always we we did a tour with Kiss. They treated us great. You know, um, you know, Def Leppard. By the way, uh, I mean, we Phil Collin is a badass. He he's a kickboxer. Train, he's really freaking good. By the way, yeah, he trains uh, Muay Thai. He's worked out. In fact, uh, he's worked out with John Jones. Oh, I, wow. I talked to John about this. Uh, John went to a Def Leppard show. And I don't know if it was planned or not, but Ricky, I think they just ended up in Phil's dressing room hitting pads or something. So he he trains himself. I've heard that. Yeah. So I, I guess yeah, the, I, I I can't get him to grapple. It's the weirdest. Well, thing that's okay though. So See, far. what I'm thinking is, in case uh, tensions ever boil over and the bands get in a fight, Frank, you and I, we have to corner Ricky to get this fight to the ground. See, Phil doesn't want any part of Ricky on the ground, right? <laughs> It'd be UFC one all over again. <laughs> Well, now, all right, so so what about that, Rick? Because, you know, Poison, 
I was just thinking about this. Like, Poison has had all these their legendary fist fights on stage and all that kind of stuff among uh, band members, but it never seems to involve you. It, 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 are, are you just are you the trained uh, member of the band who's just sort of? Uh, I, I mean, maybe you took it up as a means of self defense for band rehearsal. I, I I don't know. I mean, the, what what about that? Like, do they know? Okay, we can we can uh, mess around amongst ourselves here with the you know the the schoolyard fights and stuff, but we better not mess with the black belt behind the kid. Is that is that the way it goes? Yeah, no, nobody wants to go there right now. Um, I got it. You know. I, in the early days, I mean, our look and everything was uh, so over the top. And, we, you know, nobody was used to that. Uh, we got in fights all the time. Yeah. Uh, it, it seemed like once I trained and once I, I got good at the game, I hardly ever get in fights. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know why that is. I think, I think when you walk into a room and you look vulnerable... Uh, then, you know, you sit there and I think other people look at you and consider you vulnerable. But when you walk into a room and you're just like, hey, how you doing? And you don't appear vulnerable. People just go, I don't think that's the guy that I'm going to pick to mess with particularly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I look in, in you know, like, like I, I don't look like a scary guy, but I don't look like I'm scared of people, though, either. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't hunch over in the corner like this. You know, I, I feel pretty confident. So I, I think that's, that's a comp. I think that's true, and and Frank and I talk about this on the show too because I I came to jujitsu later in life, and I think not only that 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 you know you you don't give off that uh, that that vibe, but the other thing is too. Tell me your thoughts on this, Ricky. I always think that if inside yourself, you know, you you have that confidence to know, hey, you know, I can I can handle myself if it really came down to it, if I needed to, then I think subconsciously you also don't exude any kind of an attitude. There's just this sort of zen calm about it you know knowing that hey everything's, right. everything's going to be fine yeah i think it's contagious you know what, what's funny is uh, i you know i'm going to so many different events and people get in fights and every time i go to like a huge grappling match or pan american games or something mm. i never see anybody get in fights yeah. i'm sure it happens once in a while but rarely do I ever see it. It's like nobody knows what the other guy can do. So it's just, it's, it's kind of like they say an armed society is a safe society. It's kind of yes. like the same idea. You know what I mean? It's like people just kind of go, no, nah, you know, I'm good. I'm good. In a bar, you don't know. You don't know what somebody knows or don't know or what they're carrying or whatever. It's, it's a whole different headspace. It's funny how jujitsu specifically, I know MMA, has changed that because you know 20 years ago you kind of look at the dorky kid that looks like he just plays dungeons and dragons and plays music he's an easy target for most people nowadays that dorky same kid that yeah. plays dungeons and dragons plays in a band on the weekends he's like a brown belt in jujitsu his parents have had him take the classes he was eight years old and he's the last yeah. guy you want to jump i just saw a video on the internet where you know this bully was picking and all of a sudden the kid just broke out kicked him in the face mounted him arm bar <laughs> and i'm thinking man 20 years ago you would never see that nowadays yeah. i'm like dude you don't know who to pick on anymore the the nerds are, are dangerous <laughs> no i know that's so true man i know i know <laughs> i mean go to a yeah, local jiu-jitsu gym walk in there look around and go all right realize that all these people here are, are, are really dangerous yeah 
and which one of them would look like somebody you'd be nervous if they walked up to yeah. a gas station at night? And hey, Not a one of them. You'd be like, oh, no, this, this kid, really? little college kid over there? Like, no, he's dangerous. And to add insult to injury, Ricky, everybody's got a camera phone now, so you can guarantee it's going to be filmed. And when you come to, the, the wimp that just kicked your ass is going to have it posted to his Facebook page. <laughs> I know oh. it's so true. You know, but I mean, uh, you know, again, back in the day, it was like we were like fresh out of Pen- Pennsylvania. We were like these four, you know, ridge runners coming to Hollywood, and just like uh, it just seemed like we were constantly getting into something. You know, it just we didn't we didn't want to put up with anything or wait for anything or be patient with anything, and you know it was just like we have to have it we have to have it now and i don't know man it's i don't know how i got through all that without like just getting killed i remember one particular thing we lived on on franklin uh which is one block from hollywood boulevard and we look out the window one day and this pimp is beating his hoe (laughs) Uh, i mean just slapping her and and i'm like no 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 this isn't okay our gear was set up in an apartment I grab the top off of a cymbal uh, stand, and me and the guitar player go running down to smack this guy. Yeah. The guy busts out a Bowie knife about yay long, and we just went, uh, maybe we shouldn't get involved. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what she did to begin yeah. with. She might have it coming. <laughs> I'm sorry we've upset you. But, you know, but that's kind of stuff i mean back in pa if somebody was hitting a girl you know you jumped in and you hit the guy don't do that you know yeah. it's different when you get into the city i'm just saying i don't know how i survived but i did yeah <laughs> here i am but now tell me a little tell, now. tell me because there, there there's yet another side to you that is uh is of a personal interest to me because uh, i'm a a very uh, uh, devout vegan and uh, animal rights activist, and I know you've got that that side to you as well. How long uh, have you know have you sort of felt that calling, and and what got you involved in that? I've been vegetarian for twenty three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you how I got involved. I had to do a report in school, uh, and it was about animal experimentation, and I got asked. You know, they, you know, they, one person had to take the pro side, one person had to take the con side and you didn't get to pick and they picked that I had to take the con side. So I went and I wanted to find out about this stuff. So I started reading all this information and, uh, and I thought, well, um, you, why don't I write to one of the biggest organizations, the anti, uh, vivisection society. And I got all their information and I read about it and read about it. And I had, I, I realized that it was this huge thing that was going on with the animal experimentation, and I just didn't like it. Um, but then it was many, many years later where I didn't. I realized that if I was going to try to save animals, I had to stop eating them. It didn't make sense for me to give money and do the best I could or protest animal experimentation or what have you, and then eat however many cows a, a year or, or chickens right. and whatever. Right. Uh, and, and so, I, but I mean, I'm a central Pennsylvania boy who grew up on steak and potatoes. And, uh, you know, I was like, how am I going to do this? Um, and how, how I did it, uh, was I actually fasted for almost a week. I, I went down to a water fast and when you come off a fast, I don't know if you've ever done it. I don't recommend, I don't think people need to do fast, but, uh, at the time I thought I needed to, when you come off of it, 
stuff that I never liked, cauliflower or whatever, mm. was amazing because you're so hungry, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I, so I just, I just never let meat back into my diet after that. But I binged the night before I started that fast. I mean, I went, my friend ran uh, a Red Lobster, and I, I mean, I, I made myself sick. I ate stuff. I remember that. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really, I've never looked back. Uh, I just, uh, I feel like at the end of the day, I can go, hey, nothing had to die for me. Um, yeah. And uh, I feel good about that. All right. So we got to ask uh, Frank, uh, for, we asked Ricky if he knows uh, uh, about what we know. So uh, a couple of things, Ricky. Uh, first, my I'm, I'm fortunate because my girlfriend is a gourmet vegan cook. So it's like I don't miss anything. You know, I mean, there's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you OK. Then, you know, I've got an awesome girl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you know how to cook it right, you're not missing anything. But, but you know, you 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 trade uh, uh, stories and recipes and locations and stuff with people, and uh, you find out about the places to go. So there is a place in in L.A. Do you know about Doomies? Do you know? I the, don't. Okay. So there is a place in. Uh, we talk about this so much on the podcast. They should get. They should give us free food for life. We talk about this so much. So. There's this place. Frank and I take this show on the road uh, uh, fairly regularly, and we were. Uh, I, I had heard about this place in L.A. called Doomies, and the deal is they're home cooking. Okay, so it's vegan versions of fried chicken, you know, uh, hamburgers, just everything you could imagine. I'm but it's, it down. yeah, Doomies, D O O M I E S, but it's all plant based. So we go there, and. They have a Big Mac, all right. So you got it's not on the menu. You got to ask for the Big Mac off the menu, and it's just like you would get at McDonald's. But it's these two full patties uh, with the Big Mac sauce and all that. You get animal style fries, like it in and out, everything. So we order this stuff. Frank says to me, "Forget vegan. This is yeah. one of the best hamburgers I've ever had." And so now, I mean, I don't know how many times we've been back since, but it's Four like... Four times, I think. Yeah, it's like... Because well, then we brought, you know, Robert Drysdale, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Drysdale, we brought him there. And he's okay with eating vegan, but, you know, he's not a vegan. He's like me. I'm like, oh, well, if everybody else is doing it at the restaurant, I'll eat that way too. I don't have to have meat. So I brought... And I told him, like, buddy... This is one of the best burgers I've ever eaten. I'm not even trying to convert you to vegan. I'm not a vegan, but just this is a great hamburger. So I brought him there, and he's eating. And I'm like staring at him, like a, you know, you're sitting there, like you know, what do you think? What do you think? And uh, sure enough, he says top five, top five hamburgers I've ever had in my life. And this is coming from guys that eat meat. We, I have In and Out. I like going down to different burger places. And if right now you sit there and you said, "Hey, burger place," and we're not talking about being healthy, it's it's a good it's a good burger, man. You got to check it out. We love well, it. We love. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll we loved it. it. We're in Hollywood. It's uh, I guess it's kind of over by uh, Paramount Studios. I'll email you the exact address and everything, so you have it. But but the last time we went, I I knew Frank was hooked. He loved it so much that we were doing media out there. We had to drive back to Vegas from L.A. And we drove across L.A. in 5 o'clock rush hour traffic so we he could have like, one of those burgers. Basically, we came home four hours later Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because we went and ate this burger, and it was worth it. <laughs> it, was, it was that well, good. I, am, I definitely have done my favorite places, too. But, uh, no, that's awesome, man. I've always, you know, I, I'm in Alabama tonight. So, I mean, there mm. was, it's, it gets challenging when you're on the road, as you probably know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you get outside of your comfort zone. I keep a stockpile of stuff on my tour bus. I don't go in the hotels as much as uh, some of the other guys do. Yeah. I love my tour bus. I, I like live out of my tour bus. Oh yeah. I got a trailer and, and I got my motorcycle in the trailer and I, I rode today. I ride like every day. That's right. You do the, the custom bikes now. Yeah, I do. I love I love having a motorcycle out here. I'm doing a thing. I don't know if you know about it. The uh, uh, from from the saddle, the photo thing, the photo yeah, essay thing. Yeah, yeah, tell us about that. Tell us what you're doing. Well, I, I I ride around in every city that we go to and find interesting things to take pictures of. Uh, and but the the criteria is I can't get off the bike to to shoot the picture. So it all comes from the perspective of being on the bike. That's the rule. Mm. And um, and so and every a bunch of people got behind it. Ducati gave me a bike to take out on the road. Leica gave me a camera to take out on the road. Uh, I've had Dionese clothes throw me some stuff, and I mean uh, Zoom gave me a camera to do video. I mean it, people treated me really good. I'm gonna take those photos at the end of the tour put them in a gallery and sell them and the money goes to immunotherapy so that other people can thrive like I did from the treatment. That's right on. what I want to do. That is really cool, man. That's <laughs> man. It's like, that's another, that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's an, that's another layer to the, uh, to the personality. So that's uh that's good stuff, man. Um, cool. Well, I, you know, I, I hope we have not taken up too much of your time tonight, man. This has been a fascinating visit and we appreciate you, uh, making time for us letting hey, us no into your problem. hotel room there. Have, you know we, we didn't talk as much about fighting as i wanted to. well what, you, yeah, yo, actually, what do you want to talk about you actually, ask I want questions to ask if you just kind of to geek out a little bit on yeah. tits. do you yeah. have a, a certain game you like i mean are you uh, a bottom player do you like the half guard do you you know are you, you know, what area do you like to, to concentrate the most or what do you prefer well, you know, my coach, my coach is uh, Renato Magno at uh, Street Sports. He came over with the Machado brothers. Uh, I got my purple belt under John Jock, and and uh, Hanato was uh, one of one of my trainers at the time, and uh, and Hagen was too. And when uh, he opened his own school, I went there to Street Sports, and I've been with him ever since. Um, and he has, he's like Hagen. He has a he has a pressure game. John Jock's like technical, yeah. uh, and, and I have some of that, but uh, I get a lot of the pressure game from from Hanato. Um, and I like to try to stay on top. It's like Chris Howder always says, you know, it's 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 very. Um, how can I say it? I'm trying to think of to paraphrase what he said. It, it, it's so seductive to want to pull somebody to your guard. But really, if you're more on top and constantly thinking about where the other person's hands are, you're in a much better position to deal with real life. And, and I think sometimes in jiu-jitsu, we start forgetting about that it really is a self-defense uh, system. And, uh, I mean, there are some schools where the, the guys are amazing at winning competitions. I'm not so sure I'd want them in my corner, though, in a real street fight. You know what mm. I mean? Because they start to forget. You know, if somebody's going to drop to guard right away, I don't know. I, I don't want to forget that, that, that the reason I started jiu-jitsu was to protect myself, you know? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and I guess that kind of plays into the debate that, you know, we, we're, of course, now we're in a, an age, Ricky, where we're debating, uh, you know, points tournaments versus submission only and things like that. And how yeah. much does, you know, a, a leg lock heavy game, uh, replicate 
real life and that kind of, you know, if you're in a street fight or you get just going to sit guard and, you know, that sort of thing. We actually talk about that a lot on the show, and I guess that's, uh, that's you know, a relevant conversation. Uh, did, now, did you do tournaments? Have you done tournaments much? I've only done one. Yeah. I did one. I lost by point advantage. Uh, the guy was really good. Yeah. Uh, Brazilian guy. He was a fairly high-level black belt. I had just got my black belt. I was scared to death. He had 30 students cheering him on. I'm over <laughs> here going, oh, God, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he, he was great. He was a super nice guy. His technique was really good. I almost got him in a reverse Kimura uh, twice. Um, I've got this little technique called a rocket rollout, and, ah. uh, and I used it, and I, I caught him by surprise with that. But, um, you know, I, I, I want to do. I want to compete again. I want to do Master Senior next year. Yeah, and uh, hopefully I can do it. Hopefully I'm not touring, or hopefully I I stay in remission and I don't get sick ever again. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's awesome. man. We gotta okay. But, so w- go ahead, Rick. Oh, I just wanted to say one thing. Yeah. Uh, I I I got a chance to train with a with a, a vegan MMA guy. Uh, uh, well, I know Jake Shields by yep. the way. His parents used to come see us play. Oh yeah, but I don't really know jake that well but matt danzig came to our yeah, school yeah and uh and tra- trained with uh rico Ciparelli, who rico is just awesome you know he's a, such Great a wrestler. good teacher he's just uh he's a, he's a good guy and so i i was fortunate enough to be in one of the classes with those guys and i mean matt was uh, he's a tough son of a bitch i think he just i don't know why he's not doing better than he than he is uh, but he, he's really good, you know, um, and there's more and more vegan guys out there now. It's yeah. kind of crazy. The Diaz brothers uh, as well. You know, I think it's something uh, the, the, the vegan fighters that I know that I've talked to all tell me that it helps them uh, stay on weight. And they don't, the weight doesn't fluctuate as much so that when they're making weight, they don't have the drastic weight cuts. And I've noticed that, uh, in, in myself, you know, I've noticed, uh, that my energy levels stay up. But the other thing I've always, I've also found Ricky is that, um, when I eat, you know, we were just talking about like what a great, you know, vegan burger they have at Doomies and all that kind of stuff. When you eat that kind of food that is typically associated with, Oh, heavy, you know, now I'm going to sit on the couch and go into a food coma and wish I hadn't have eaten that much or whatever. It doesn't have quite that feeling with it because it's, it's plant-based, you know, so you're still, you're still fairly light unless you're like Frank and you eat two of those burgers. He, this guy, he, you want to talk about excess, Ricky. Last time we were at Doomies, he finishes his, uh, double patty Big Mac before I had finished mine. Waitress comes by and he says, Hey, when you get a chance, will you bring me another one of those? And she goes for here. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then finish that one before yeah. he finished his food. No, I had to get up there. You'll see when you go to the restaurant, there's a small couch there. When you sit there, realize that's where I had to get up and go lay down because I couldn't breathe sitting in my chair anymore. <laughs> he's got a little napping couch at Doomies. I had a food coma. I, dude, I destroy like eight bowls of cereal every night. When, when, when I, couldn't, I couldn't put on weight. I was 193, and I went down to 161. Mm. during treatment uh, yeah. now 178 180 right in there but to get there was it was tough man i shakes every day and then i started to eat cereal because the milk was lubricated enough that i could get it down because i lost a lot of my salivary glands uh through the radiation 
I destroy cereal. I mean, people just sit there and look at me and go, oh, my God. I mean, I can go through a box in one sitting. I mean, just uh, just over and over and over again. It's crazy. I I overeat. I mean, I do. <laughs> I'm there with you, buddy. Well, if you if you're gonna overeat, better to uh, better to be a V, and I say, uh, won't won't be as heavy. Hey, uh, man, this is awesome. We're getting, so we've got to find a show that is. Uh, we either need to go to the Vegas show or we need to go one on one of the West Coast shows. Frank oh, and I want to go uh, rock out, so we'll uh, we'll figure that out. Uh, tour dates at poisonweb.com. Maybe uh, you know, say it's hard to train on the road. Maybe uh, maybe we could get uh, arrange some uh, some some training or something when uh, we hook up with Ricky on the road. If you uh, you want to do an afternoon session or something, I would love to have Frank beat my ass. Yeah, it's a real treat. <laughs> trust me, it's a real. Hey, we got to tell you know before I let you go, Ricky. I got to tell you about this new bit that we do during live shows that we're we're so proud of. I'll tell you how we married uh, jujitsu and uh, and and classic rock. So so I'm pretty good at name that tune. So we started doing this bit on our uh, live stage shows called Combat Name That Tune. So what we do is we clear off the stage. DJ plays a song. I have to name the song before Frank can submit me. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's tense. I mean, it's like I've never had to do it under duress. And until you've been caught in Frank Mirror's guard trying to remember the name of that one-hit wonder, what was it? Or the worst is the choke. Right. Because uh, when he's got that rear naked choke on you, the, the name of the song is on the tip of your tongue, but the room is starting to go dark. So, uh, yeah, it's a real experience. You can uh, uh, follow Ricky on Twitter at Ricky Rocket. Uh, tell, where can we see the uh, From the Saddle uh, photo? Uh, fo that's on a Facebook page, right? Yeah, you know what? I have a Facebook page for it simply called From the Saddle. Okay. Uh, where I'm going to show the stuff, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, like a uh, gallery, they need to see the work before they can commit to anything, so I'm not, I'm not so sure it's going to wind up there, which I understand. I think yeah. that's a good policy for them to have. Um, but I, I don't know yet. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm definitely going to put it in the gallery, uh, I hope. Even if it's horrible, I'll put it in the gallery. Um, yeah. <laughs> and people still have to buy it because it's for a good cause. So, yeah, But yeah. I think I'm doing a really good job. I'm, I'm taking it really, really seriously. I'm listening to a lot of really good photographers' advice. And, uh, and I think I have a good eye. And, um, you know, I, I really think it, it's going to be a, a – I think the project's really working out well so far. Cool, man. Well, thanks for spending so much time with us tonight. Look forward to uh, getting you over here on the, uh, the the West Coast so we can see this tour live. Poison out on the road for uh, the first time in years uh, doing it with Def Leppard and Tesla. That's a fantastic triple bill. Uh, once again, tour dates at poisonweb.com. Everybody was kung fu 